God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. Praise the Lord. Let us go before him in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before your holy presence, your holy throne, by the power of your Holy Spirit, by the merits of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, our High Priest, whose name is love, who ever lives to intercede for us. Lord, we come to give our reasonable service, to honor you, to worship you, because you are worthy of all glory and honor and praise. Our Lord, we pray and thank you for this time to go into your word and to worship you with spiritual things. For to hear the gospel of grace is to worship in spirit and in truth. And so, Lord, we seek the power of your spirit in illumination, in teaching, in opening the hearts of your people, these that are gathered here and those that shall listen to this message at some other time. Lord, we pray that you would help them to understand the hidden things of the glory of Christ. We pray for all these things in the name of your glorious Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. And for anybody who would wish to listen to the sermons, if you have to go and listen to our messages, we have a lot of messages that we have taught. And our messages have a lot of theology. So you never get everything there is to understand from one sitting. You need to go back and listen again and again and again. And every time that you listen, you realize that the Lord will show you things that he didn't hear before. It even happens to me, the one who preaches the messages. I get surprised by the things that I say when I hear it. I'm like, did I say that? I don't remember ever saying that. We want to really know the things of Christ. And if we are to learn the things of Christ, we need to devote the time to hearing good teaching, sound teaching. And I believe that the Lord has blessed us with the ability to open up the things of Christ and to give us understanding of the things of Christ. So it's a huge blessing to be in a place where you can hear the gospel of grace being proclaimed. And that is our only occupation here. That is our only concern that you may know the things of Christ. We are in John 7, verses 18 and 19. I'm not going to be very greedy today. We'll actually just be working on one verse. <laughs> John seven eighteen to 19 says, He who speaks from himself seeks his own glory, but he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is true, and no unrighteousness is in him. Did not Moses give you the law Yet none of you keeps the law. Why do you seek to kill me? So the title of our sermon 
is none of you keeps the law in spite of all the pretensions. This is Jesus' commentary of all humanity. There is none born after the first Adam who keeps the law or has kept the law. The doctrine of Jesus is the doctrine of God. It is the teaching of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The gospel is the teaching of God. It is the gospel of God. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ and is about Jesus Christ. And it is about the honor and glory of Jesus. But was revealed and is displayed in the salvation of sinners. The ungodly. So the salvation of sinners is for the glory of Christ. The glory of Christ is revealed in the gospel. The glory of God is revealed in the gospel. The love of God for Christ is revealed in the gospel. The father loves the son and has given him all things that they all may be to the service of the glory of the son. That they may honor him as the father is honored. I'm telling you. If the church would understand what I just said, they will be able to preach Christ. Everything is happening only because of Christ. Sin, the law, death, angels, both the holy and the fallen are to the glory of Jesus Christ. And this is the only reason why they exist. And any understanding that exalts the servants of Christ above Jesus is a complete lack of understanding of the work of God in the glorification of his son. Everything that exists in the created world are servants of Christ. They are servants. They serve the glory of Jesus. Sin exists so that Jesus is honored in the salvation of sinners. Sin is not an aberration in the work of God. Sin exists so that Christ is honored in the salvation of sinners and in the judgment of sinners. Death exists as it glorifies Jesus Christ as he gives resurrection life to his people in salvation. Because by yourself, you have no life in you. You have to be given life and life is given in the context of sin and death. The law 
exist to prepare for the arrival of this one who gives life. But is not the end of all things. The law is not the end of things. The law is a servant of Jesus. Just as the schoolmaster was a servant to those that he worked for. The schoolmaster spoken of in Galatians by Apostle Paul was a slave, a servant employed by rich folk to school their child who was to be heir in the family. And the law, and by the way, the schoolmaster was not an uncle. It was always occupied by a slave. And the law occupies that position with respect to Christ. It is just a hired servant in a sense whose purpose was temporary once Christ arrived on the scene. But many people seem not to get it. They make salvation about the law and not about Christ. Salvation is not about the law and Christ. Salvation is not about the law and Christ. Salvation is about Jesus Christ alone. So the law was given as a servant to prepare for the arrival of this glorious son of God in salvation. So if we are understanding the Bible, right? We can't exalt the law above Christ. And we can't put the law and Christ on the same platform. Christ is God. The law has to decrease once Christ arrives on the scene because it is the servant of Christ and not the master. Jesus is the master. He is the heir of all things. He came to be glorified by the law in our salvation. So the emphasis of God's glory in the revelation of the New Testament is not in the law, but in his son. John 13, 31 to 32. So when he had gone out, that is Judas Iscariot, Jesus said, Now the son of man is glorified and God is glorified in him. Where is God glorified? He is glorified in Christ Jesus. And Jesus says in verse 32, if God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself. So do you see the unity of the glorification of the son in the father and of the father in the son and glorify him immediately. And so the gospel was given to the glory of the son. It did not come from the mind of man and could not be accomplished by man. For men in their natural state think they are naturally good and that all things are to their service. They think 
the universe revolves around their belly buttons. And so they speak from themselves, as Jesus said, they speak from themselves because they seek their own glory and not the glory of God. And they speak from themselves and measure themselves by themselves and so seek their own glory. They speak the things of God from their own imagination. They speak. That's that teaching of salvation that says salvation is in the choice, in the will, in the decision, in the resources of man, in the abilities of natural man to figure out and sort out heavenly things. They speak like Job's wife, to whom Job said in Job 2.10, You speak as one of the foolish women speaks. They speak foolishness because they have not been taught of God. They don't speak about themselves as lepers, as blind beggars, as those bleeding to death with incurable diseases. They don't speak as those who are bent and bowed down by sin and can't straighten themselves up to look to heaven like that woman. They think if they trip and fall, they will fall right into heaven. They think they are naturally righteous and if God exists, they are okay with him because he doesn't really care. They think God needs them and is going to bring them to heaven because they exist. But they do not know the scriptures. The scriptures like Acts 17 verses 24 and 25. Which says, God who made the world and everything in it. Since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands. Nor is he worshipped with men's hands. As though he needed anything. Since he gives life to all life. Breath and all things. What does the apostle say? He's saying God does not need anything. And God himself says in Psalms 50 verse 12. If I were hungry, I would not tell you. For the world is mine and all its fullness. And the scriptures would again say, as we talked about earlier, in Romans 11, verses 35 and 36. Who has first given to him? And it shall be repaid to him. For of him... And through him and to him are all things. To whom be glory forever and ever and ever. Amen. My vision has three forevers. But I need them. God says, I don't owe anybody anything. Not even a penny. Let alone salvation. And if he has to save you, if he has to bring you to himself, 
It's only because he was pleased to do it. All things are to him. All things are to his glory. Salvation is to his glory. It's not to alleviate the poverty of sinners. God is not alleviating the poverty of people in salvation. He is glorifying himself. And yet the teaching in the church is that God needs people to make him complete. That Jesus came to make salvation possible for those who have good sense to choose him from among the many decisions of life they make. They chose their wife or husbands, chose their career, chose their car, chose their pink dress and matching shoes and the lipstick. And so men think salvation is an extension of this kind of choosing. They see Jesus as one of the many things to pick out from the self at Walmart. But they don't know the Jesus who said, unless you are born again from above, you will no way see the kingdom of God. You will no way enter the kingdom of heaven. You will no way come to him. You will no way believe in him. You will no way have faith in him. You will no way repent to him. The Jesus who said, no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws them. The Jesus who praised the father for hiding things from people, for hiding Jesus from people, and spoke in parables so that people would not understand what he was saying. And he would say to his disciples when they asked him why he spoke in parables, he answered them and said to them, because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to them it has not been given. Men think that God needs them. And they think he is so desperate to have them with him if only they could just be good in themselves. Just good in themselves. If only they could do some good works, he'll be happy to accept them. This is the problem. Men are sinners and God is holy. If God was not holy, everyone would make it to heaven. But heaven is not heaven without the holiness of God. Heaven is not heaven without the glory of Christ on display. But God is holy. And that means he cannot be approached any other way that man decides to approach him. He can only be approached safely by the way that he has appointed for man to approach him by. 
And that is through the mediation of his son, Jesus Christ, the only mediator between God and man. There is no one else who can stand before you and God, between you and God, to remove God's judgment on you. Your baptism cannot do it for you. Your giving cannot do it for you. Your tears, your prayers, the prayers of dead saints, the prayers of the living are not enough to get you accepted before God and people don't know that. The church and the religious world does not know that. They think they are good and God is just going to accept them, accept their works in exchange for salvation, in exchange for righteousness, in exchange for eternal life. But Jesus comes and says, no, that is the doctrine of man. And my doctrine is not from man. It was not conceived in the minds of man, but in the mind of God. And I have come to accomplish the will and purpose of God in myself. And the will and purpose of God is for his son to be exalted. Christ Jesus is the reason why all things exist. All things exist by the will of Christ and the will of the Father. And that is to say, by the will of God, because Christ is God. The Father gave Christ all things and willed that all may honor the Son as the Father is honored. I'm telling you, this is key to understanding everything about salvation. But if the Son is to be honored, he has to come and save his people from their sins. And in this work, he does not share his glory with anybody. Not with Mary, not with the Pope, or any other person. Because the work of salvation is for the glory of Christ. And if Mary has to help in your salvation, guess what? Mary also has to share in the glory of Christ. And if the Pope can forgive sin, guess what? The Pope is also sharing in the glory and honor of Christ. And that's a big no, no, according to Jesus. He alone carries the nail-scarred hands. And so what that means is he alone saves. If you go to heaven, you're going to see just but one person who has nail-scarred hands. And that means is Jesus alone who accomplishes salvation. And Jesus came to accomplish salvation for the sins of his people, the ones that the Father gave to him before the foundation 
of the world. And so Jesus has come on this mission from the Father. And he is teaching the Jews, his disciples, and ourselves about salvation and how salvation works. But sinners, as always, do not accept his teaching. The Jews think they have hope in the law. That is why they have no interest in Christ as the Savior. They think they are descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They think they have the law of God on their side. They think they have life in their obedience to the law. But Jesus has earlier said to them in John 5.39, You say the scriptures. You say the scriptures. You hold the scriptures or the law. Because you think in them you have eternal life. And these are they which testify of me. So what is Jesus saying? He's saying the law is subservient to me. The law does not give you life because the law does not give life. It is the son of God who has life in himself who gives life. But Jesus comes and says, Moses gave you the law and yet none of you keeps the law. How does Jesus make that judgment? I mean, how is he able to make that judgment on all these people and say, none of you. Jesus is living with his parents and yet he knows the obedience of every person and says, none of you. (laughs) How does he do that? Because he's God. (laughs) He's God and, and he knows The function of the law. He knows the theology of what the law was supposed to do. He knows that none of those who are born in Adam is able to do the law. He knows that. There's none among the Jews who kept the law other than Jesus Christ himself. The Jews were not using the law rightly. Or correctly. There is a right use of the law. They were using the law wrongfully. They thought they had life in the law. And yet God did not give the law for men to get life by it. And that is the wrong use of the law. To try and get life from your obedience to the law. But there is a right use of the law. And the right use of the law is to show you that you can't do it. That is the right use of the law. The law was never given for you to gain a standing before God as to merit eternal life by your own obedience to it. The law of God was not for you to be righteous by it. Because a sinner cannot be made righteous by the law. A sinner can only be made righteous by imputation of righteousness. By a legal declaration by God that, guess what, Sister Dassel, you are righteous because I say so. So the law 
was a servant of Christ. It was a servant of Christ to show us the righteousness of God in Christ. Matthew 5.20, Jesus said, For I said to you, that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. By no means. It's not going to happen. The Lord Jesus said, your obedience to the law, which is righteousness, that's what he's talking about, has to be more than the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. It has to exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. And the Pharisees and scribes were pious men. They were, to all intents and purposes, very righteous men. They were not all thieves. They were not all thieves. They were some really good and upright Pharisees. Like Nicodemus. Like Apostle Paul. They tried very hard to obey the law of God. And everyone who was hearing Jesus understood what Jesus was saying about the righteousness of the, of the Pharisees and the scribes. Everybody in the Jewish community recognized that the Pharisees and scribes, the best of them were indeed righteous according to the flesh. But here's the problem. The Lord said, For one to be saved, that is to enter the kingdom of God, to enter the kingdom of heaven, one needs to have a righteousness that exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees. And if the scribes and Pharisees are the best of what man has to give in terms of obedience, guess what? You're in trouble because theirs doesn't make it. So by this we learn that the kingdom of God requires a righteousness for one to enter it. That's what was Jesus' point. It requires a certain level of righteousness for one to be admitted into it. It requires a righteousness that is beyond what a sinner is able to perform. And that was Jesus' point. Apostle Paul, a Pharisee, a Hebrew of Hebrews said of his own righteousness, which is the kind of righteousness that Jesus was talking about in Matthew 5. He said of his righteousness, the righteousness or goodness of human performance according to the law. Philippians 3. Philippians 3. Verses 4 to 9. He says of himself. Though I. Also. Might have confidence in the flesh. If anyone else. Thinks he may have confidence in the flesh. I more so. Circumcised the eighth day. Of the stock of Israel. Of the tribe of Benjamin. A Hebrew of. The Hebrews. Concerning the law. A Pharisee concerning zeal persecuting the church. Concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. 
concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. So his righteousness according to the law was blameless. He was a Pharisee. And yet Jesus says, unless your righteousness exceeds of this kind of righteousness, you will not make it. Verse 7. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted lost for Christ. So all that righteousness according to the flesh was gained to him. And he says, I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things, not just this, but all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them, not only suffering the loss of that righteousness, And all those things that he had confidence in to be accepted by God. But he says, I also count them as rubbish. As dung. That I may gain Christ. So this is what he's saying. He's saying you either gain Christ or you hold to your own righteousness. You can't mix the two. You have the one or the other. And be found in him not having my own righteousness which is from the law, a righteousness which is by my own performance. That's what he's saying. But that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. So Apostle Paul is arguing and saying, if you want to have righteousness, you have to count all things as loss. Everything that you were hoping to be accepted by God on you will have to throw it all away into the dumpster that you may gain Christ. So salvation requires a righteousness. It requires a goodness. And that means it requires sinlessness. Salvation requires more than sinlessness. It requires the righteousness of God. It is beyond being better than the stripper in the nightclub. Because the stripper in the nightclub is actually closer to the righteousness of Christ. Because they don't have anything much that they were saying was gained to them. It's easy for them to hear the gospel of grace. They are not righteous. They know they are not righteous. That's not an argument that they are willing to make. They will tell you, I am not righteous. So it is beyond being better than the drunkard, than the rapist, than the serial killer, than Osama bin Laden, better than Hitler. Salvation requires more than feeding the poor, more than drilling boreholes, and it is more than fighting cancer or these other social causes. And there's nothing wrong with the social causes. But they don't get anyone saved by God. Doesn't matter how righteous they feel. That's not how God saves sinners. Salvation requires more than being a good wife. Being a good mother. Being a good person, whatever that means. A good husband. A good citizen. A good neighbor. An educated fella. It requires... More than being a sensible, 
and reasonable man or woman. Because a lot of people think, oh, I am a reasonable guy. I hang around the company of the well-to-do people, the rich and famous, or the educated people. God does not weigh people on human scales to determine if he should save them or not. To determine if they have enough good deeds to outweigh the bad. Like, okay, uh, can you lean this side? Oh, 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 oh you were... You almost got in. You're just missing that one pound. That one pound is what's going to send you to hell. No, it doesn't work like that. God saves sinners only one way by the standard of his own righteousness. He only saves by God's righteousness. The righteousness of Jesus Christ, which is the righteousness of the gospel. When you believe in Christ Jesus, God gives you the righteousness of God. There is no other legal currency. There is no other legal currency in God's economy for transacting salvation but the righteousness of Christ. There's only but one legal currency in the transaction of salvation. And it is the blood of Christ alone. The righteousness of Christ alone. But sinners have the habit of putting people in heaven when they die. When an unbeliever dies, sinners because of their ignorance of how God saves, they say all kinds of foolishness. They say, oh, how she is now with the angels. Or actually, some will say they're already an angel. And how God was just waiting for them. Or they are now in a better place. And so they say, rest in peace. What better place? What resting in peace? If you are a Christ header and are not resting in the Sabbath rest which is in Christ Jesus. What resting peace without the righteousness of Christ whose blood speaks better and speaks peace between sinners and God. Hell is no better place and is no resting place. There's no resting in peace in hell. People Don't go to heaven because they died. That is false. People only go to heaven if they have the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So don't fool yourself by thinking that maybe you can sweet talk or bribe your way into glory. And that maybe you could smile your way into heaven and cause God to open heaven's gates. Don't be fooled to think that your good works will profit you when it comes to salvation. Salvation is only by the blood of Christ. The cross of Jesus Christ is the only basis of justification. 
That is the absolute necessity of salvation. That is the absolute requirement by God if one has to see life. Some people think that they're just going to die and become worm food. That too is a lie from hell. There's more to you than just this physical body. You have a spirit. And your spirit lives on. And it lives forever. But where are you going to get this righteousness? And how do you get this righteousness? Some religions teach that. Just be good. Just be a good person. Good person. And they are wrong. And some in the apostate church say, salvation is Jesus plus your good works. And that too is false. Salvation is only in Christ Jesus. And that is to say, salvation is by grace alone because grace alone is what honors the Son as the Father is honored. But before we answer that some more, we need to know why a sinner can't do good works that save. Why it is impossible for a sinner to do good works that actually save them. Even if they had 5,000 years to live. Even if God was going to say, listen, Stan, I'm going to wipe your slate clean. You've never done anything wrong up to this point. Whatever I did, done. I've removed it, erased it completely. You start again. And I'll tell you, Brother Stan, in the first second of God having said that, you're already in serious trouble. Because your mind is going to send you to hell. Your mind is going to send you to hell. Your heart is going to send you to hell. A sinner cannot do good works to be accepted by God because of them. A sinner is one who has leprosy. And according to the law, whatever they touch becomes unclean. Whatever the leper set on, according to the law, whatever they touched, whatever they set on, even if they touched you, you became unclean. And that's the problem. Even the very thing that you do with the best of intentions becomes unclean because you are unclean. Job 14.4 says, Who can bring a clean thing out of an unclean? And he answers and says, No one. You are the unclean thing and nothing that you do by yourself is clean in the eyes of God. It is always tainted with sin Your best works of righteousness are like a filthy rag in the eyes of God. It may be righteous in my eyes, but not in the eyes of God. God is holy. God is righteous. God is love, but he is holy and righteous. His love is a holy love. And What that means is it requires a righteousness to be exercised. 
a righteousness which is by the obedience of the cross. A righteousness which is by faith in his son. So you may be wondering and saying, looking at the way that my life has gone so far, I don't see the love of God for me. And when you ask that question, you are looking at the wrong measures by which to judge the love of God for you. The love of God is not given in a car or a house or in good health. The love of God is given in giving you his righteousness. The love of God is a redemptive love which means it is only expressed in his own son coming and dying to give you that which you could not give yourself. I can buy you a car. I, I, it won't be for $100,000. I can buy you a car for $200. And that will get you to work for maybe two months. But you need an everlasting righteousness. And God has given you an everlasting righteousness. And that is how he has demonstrated his love towards you. The spiritual condition of every man, woman, and child has been portrayed in many different ways in the Bible. And I like the story of the man who had a legion of demons in Luke 8 verses 26 to 29. It's very important. It's, it's good theology. And we have the time. It's my anniversary. It's my birthday. Uh, Stan called it a birthday, but he didn't bring a cake. What is that for love? He is not a doer of the law. Luke 8, 26 to 29. Then they sailed to the country of the Gadarenes, which is opposite Galilee. And when he had stepped out on the land, there met him a certain man from the city who had demons for a long time. And he wore no clothes, nor did he live in a house but in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out, fell down before him, and with a loud voice said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man, for it had often seized him, and he was kept under guard, bound with chains and shackles, and he broke the bonds and was driven by the demon into the wilderness. Luke tells us and says, the man had demons for a long time. All sinners outside Christ have been under demonic influence for a long time. All the world philosophies are demonic. They are. Apostle Paul calls them the doctrines of demons because they deny the person of Jesus Christ who is the wisdom of God. Any teaching that denies Jesus is a demonic teaching. It doesn't matter how high sounding it is. It doesn't matter who, how many PhDs the person has who is saying it is demonic. If it denies the person of Jesus Christ. Luke tells us and says, the man wore no clothes. 
Very important. He was naked and lived naked and lived without the shame of his nakedness. And that is the spiritual condition of all men before God. We were all naked before him. And that means with no righteousness. That's the point of his nakedness. No righteousness. That is what the nakedness is saying. It is saying all men outside Christ are unclothed. Even if they think they are covered in their own fig leaves of self-righteousness. Men try to cover their nakedness by being nice people. By doing charitable work. They don't want to come to Christ. They don't want to come to church and hear the gospel. And yet they are the leading people for raising money for cancer. Okay. And they sound very reasonable people. They sound like people who really care for the life of other people. If you really care for the life of other people, you bring them to Christ. Because it's only in Christ that you find life. <laughs> Luke says, The man did not live in a house, but in tombs, where they buried dead people. He lived among the graves with the skeletons of dead people. And that is to say, in this world, men live in the midst of death. The graveyard is always, or the cemetery, is God's commentary of the life on earth. Is God's commentary of what the world has to give you. Just death. If you are not in Christ, you may think that you are alive. But God says, no, you live among the walking tombs of the world. The walking dead. Whose end is eternal death in the lake of fire. But listen to men's attempts to cover their nakedness and their rebellion. He says, they tried to keep the man under God by binding him in chains and shackles. So other sinners trying to restrain him by their own formulas, by their own chains, but they had no solution for him. Sinners tried to restrain him by their own concoctions of do's and don'ts. Crystal, if you just follow what I'm telling you to do, you become a better person. Okay, so what are we going to do? We're going to join this club. You're going to become a member of this club and we're going to do this thing. I just read this booklet and, and the seven steps, the five steps. And those are the circles trying to make you better, but you never get better. They try to restrain him by the works of religion and trying to make him better by their own prescriptions. And this is what happens when people don't want to rest on the righteousness of Christ. They want to bring you into bondage to their programs. You gotta hear me. 
to their life formulations, to the latest tricks of how to overcome this and that, and to the latest book by Beth Moore and company, Joyce Meyer, they are trying to bring you into bondage to themselves. As Apostle Paul said in Galatians 4.17, they zealously caught you. They zealously caught you. With a lot of zeal. Oh, let's go. Jenny, let's go. We, we got to go. This is good. But for no good. Yes, they want to exclude you that you may be zealous for them. So the apostle says, the reason why they are trapping you into their programs and all their things is so that they may get you to be zealous for them. To exalt them and their programs. But the scriptures say, but the men could not be restrained. The chains and shackles could not restrain him because they are a picture. They are a picture of trying to get someone to be good and righteous by law obedience. That's the point. Luke says, he broke the bonds and was driven by the demon into the wilderness. He always broke the chains. Not some of the time. He always broke the chains. As sinners always break the law of God and find themselves in the wilderness of sin. The law is unable to bring obedience to such a one. It doesn't matter how hard one tries. Works of righteousness cannot bring Obedience to a sinner. They do not cover the nakedness of the sinner. The works of the flesh do not bring salvation. The law was not given to restrain you. It was given to show you of your rebellion by breaking it. As the man was constantly breaking the chains. The law was given to increase sin. To increase the transgression. It was given to give you the knowledge of sin. It was given to reveal your leprosy. To give you the knowledge that everything that you touch becomes unclean. It was given to enable you to see that in your flesh there is nothing good that dwells in it. That's Apostle Paul. And to cause you to cry out and say, War is me. I am undone. I am ruined. Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of leprosy, from this body of death? See that the man continue to be naked and rebellious and to live in the wilderness until who showed up? Until who showed up? And Jesus did not bring any chains. Jesus did not bring any shackles. Jesus commanded the demons to leave the men and gave them permission to enter a head of swine. Listen to this. Verse, uh, Luke 8, verse 35. Then they went out to see what had happened and came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had departed sitting at the feet of Jesus 
clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Of course, you have to be afraid. Jesus shows up and things change immediately. You see, those are the priorities of sinners. The sinners were afraid of a man who was in his right mind than the man who was breaking chains. They were afraid of the man being clothed and in his right mind. (laughs) That's crazy. And this is what happens with the world when they are around church people. They just feel uncomfortable because we are in our right minds. Jesus shows up and things change. And this is what became of the man. He was not running crazy anymore. He was not shouting obscenities. I'm sure he was shouting some things. He was not breaking chains anymore. But he was sitting at the feet of Jesus. He was worshiping Jesus. He was hearing the teaching of Jesus as God. But listen to this. God had to come to the man. Jesus had to come to the man. The man could not come to Jesus. And so Jesus has to come to each and every one of you as he came through that leper village. As he came through Jericho and healed but me as the blind beggar. Jesus has to come to you first. But listen to this. But not only that. The man was clothed. He was clothed. The man was for the first time in a long time clothed. He was in his right mind free from the demons, and he was wearing some clean clothes. Sinners can only be in their right mind when they meet with Jesus. That's the only time that you have the right mind. And Jesus saves you from your demons. And he covers you. Sinners are only clothed for the first time when Jesus shows up. When Jesus comes and covers them with his righteousness. You see, it's Jesus who brought clothes for him. What is that saying? Only Jesus can bring you the righteousness that covers your sin and your shame. Only Jesus can bring you the righteousness that God accepts. Only Jesus can make you whole again. And make you sane again. So how does one cover their nakedness? How does one who is unclean, one who has leprosy, how does one who has leprosy become clean? How does one who is insane, a lawbreaker, because of sin, come to sit at the feet of Jesus with their right mind? How does one who is sick and dying make it right with God? To answer that, we need to find out how other people were made right by God. To answer that, we need to hear the doctrine of Jesus Christ about how you can make it right with God. Jesus said in John 5.24, Most assuredly, I say to you, He who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. And here, the teaching of Apostle Paul 
from Romans 4, and we are going to go through verses 1 to 8. We are working towards the close, but don't put on your shoes yet. Romans 4, 1 to 8. What then shall we say? That Abraham, our father, is found according to the flesh. What good works did Abraham, the friend of God, had by the works of his flesh? Let us hear. Verse 2. For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. If Abraham was accepted by God, that is, made righteous before God by his own goodness, by his own works. He has something to boast about before God. If he was justified by works, then he brought something to his salvation. He helped God in his own salvation. But hear this, verse 3. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. Abraham believed God and his faith in what God told him was accounted to him, which is imputed to him, which is credited to him, which is charged to him as his righteousness. So when Abraham believed God, God put the righteousness of Christ in Abraham's account and say, look at your account. It's full of righteousness. <laughs> Listen to verse 4. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. So the apostle says there are two ways of salvation. It's either 100% by grace, by the imputation of the righteousness of Christ or by your own works. But you can't mix them. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace but as debt. If someone works for salvation, then God has to give them salvation. If, Brother Robert, you contribute 1% towards your salvation, then God is obligated to give you salvation as wages for your effort. But that is not counted by God as grace, but as debt. That's what he says. If you bring good works to God to be saved by them, then God is obligated by his holiness to give you salvation. Because you see, God is not against it. God is holy. And if it were possible for you to bring enough good works, then he would give you the righteousness that leads to eternal life. He would give you eternal life in exchange for the righteousness that you brought. And God will have to give you salvation as debt owed to you by him because you accomplished by yourself that which he alone gives. Oh, yeah. 
<laughs> That's probably one of the most fundamental statements that I've ever said. If, I don't know if I will even be able to repeat it because it's not in my notes. Just one of those things. If God has to give you salvation, if you bring your own good works for salvation, God is obligated to give you a righteousness, to give you life for something that he alone is able to give and gives. So you'd have done something that's impossible. And that is why it's impossible for you to be saved by your works because salvation can only be given. And the apostle says, if it is by your works, then he has to reward you with life for the work that you performed. And if things work that way, then salvation ceases to be by grace, but becomes of works. Verse 5. But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. To him who does not work, to him who sits idle, to him who has nothing to give, to him who is just ungodly, who is just having fun in his life or her life, to him who has nothing to commend themselves before God, to him who has everything that has failed, but believes. Their faith is accounted for righteousness. Is that good news? I, I, I hope you are in the camp of those who do not work. I, I am in the camp, in the camp of the lazy ones. O, on this one, I want to be in the camp of the lazy ones. Because if I am lazy, I get the righteousness of God. And I pray that the Lord will cause you to be lazy for your salvation. That you may stand in the righteousness of Christ alone. And some sinner is going to say, so are you saying sinners should not do anything? I'm like, you don't get what I'm talking about. I'm saying you don't work for your salvation. That's the point. But God says, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. All human works to try and be accepted by God are deeds of the law. And God says, unacceptable. So how does one get justified? How does one get accepted? Justification is for the one who does not work. The one who does not work in the food kitchen like Brother Guido. The one who does not try to be good as to be accepted by God for their own goodness. Justification is for the one who brings nothing to God. The one who comes naked. The one that Christ comes and finds unclothed. Naked. Because you see, when it comes to righteousness, you can only wear one robe. You're not going to put Jesus' righteousness on top of your own righteousness. You have to take off your own jacket like blind Bartimaeus. He took off his cloak when Jesus called him and ran to Jesus and Jesus healed him. You see, this theology is everywhere. 
Justification is for the one who brings nothing to God. Nothing in my hands I bring simply to thy cross I cling. It is for the ungodly. Never miss that. It is only for the ungodly. It is only for the sinner. The one who has despaired of being good before God. This is the one who is a sinner. The one who realizes that they are a leper. The one who realizes that everything that they touch becomes unclean. Or everything that they have ever touched had been made unclean. These are the ones who are justified freely. Justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Listen to this. I have some things to say again on verse 5. It says, the one who believes in Jesus Christ alone but does not work, his faith is accounted by God for righteousness. What does that mean? The one who believes in Jesus Christ alone but does not work, his faith is accounted by God for righteousness. It means God gives such a person who is identified in our text as the ungodly. You see, that is the only qualification for salvation. Are you ungodly? Are you ungodly? A lot of people say, no, 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 no not me. Uh, no. I do make some mistakes, yeah. But ungodly, no, no, no. That's not for me. It's for the politicians. Uh, this person is identified as the ungodly. And this is the one who gets the righteousness of Christ. And that is wonderful news. And that is the gospel that we are preaching. Because I am ungodly. And I pray that the Lord would also make a diagnosis of you and tell you of your ungodliness. For Jesus profits you nothing if you are not ungodly. Jesus profits you nothing if you are not ungodly. Because he only came to die for the ungodly. But listen to this. This did not just happen to Abraham. It happened to David, to King David. King David was a murderer and a daughter. And yet the scriptures say, just as David also describes the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. A blessed man is not one who has many things that money can buy. It is not the one who has all the toys of the world. It is not the person who has a good wife or a good husband or a good job or has some very funny and good friends. A blessed man, according to David, is one whose lawless deeds are forgiven, whose sins are covered, and to whom God does not impute sin. And so what is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying to the Jews, and he's saying to you and I, that no man born in the first Adam 
has ever kept the law and is able to keep the law. Even the best of men, the most pious of men who ever lived were sinners. How do we know that? They all died. (laughs) They all died. And the scriptures say, the wages of sin is death. That's how we know. Jesus saying, there's no life in trying to obey the law because God never intended, God never determined to give life by our own obedience to the law. Jesus is saying, the law brings wrath to all who can't obey it, and that is all men. But the believer in Christ has been set free from the chains and shackles of the law. As Apostle Paul would say in Galatians 5.1, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. And do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage, which is the law. The law is a yoke of bondage. It's those shackles and chains that people were trying to put on the man who was demon-possessed. So how shall we come to Christ? How shall you come to Christ? How shall you come to Christ today? You come as a leper. With all your uncleanliness, you come to Christ. Don't try to clean up yourself and then say, Oh, Jesus, look at me. I'm smelling good today. Save me. You come to Christ with your uncleanliness and cry out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on me. You come to Christ always as the blind beggar who cried out to Jesus and said, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And he will give you sight. And come to Christ as Apostle Paul came and said, I also count all things loss. That is coming to Christ. I count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having my own righteousness which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. So count all things that you think would give you advantage before God as loss. And he says, Apostle Paul there, he suffered the loss. This is not just suffering of the physical things. He is saying just being separated from his hope, was a painful and emotional experience to say all this that I was hoping that God would accept me by, I have to throw away. So he had to go through moments of his life where he had to battle and struggle with these things. And he suffered emotionally. He has suffered the loss of all things and count them now but rubbish that he may gain Christ and gain the righteousness of Christ, which is not by the law, but which is through faith in Christ Jesus, the righteousness which is from God by faith. Jesus said in Matthew 8.3, he's talking about how you come to him because you are a lawbreaker. Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become 
as little children. You will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Earlier, he said, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the Pharisees and scribes, you by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. And here he says again, you by no means enter the kingdom of heaven unless you are converted and come as little children. Why little children? Because they have nothing. They have nothing to their name, no accomplishments in their name, and they are so trusting. They are so trusting and they only come with an empty belly and dirty diapers to be cleaned. So come to Christ with your soiled life. Come to Christ with your empty belly. Come to Christ with your dirty diapers. And he will give you his righteousness. Because none of you keeps the law. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we praise you and we honor you for your gospel of Christ. It's a glorious gospel. And Lord, I pray and thank you that you have revealed your son to us this way. You have honored your son in our salvation by giving us his righteousness, by giving us his life, by him coming and changing our own diapers that were soiled and clothing us with his own garments of fine linen. And Lord, what a picture of grace for the Son of God to even show up in a leper village full of lepers like ourselves and to reveal to us the things of glory, the things of life, the things of God. We who did not care a thing about them. And yet, we lived among the tombs, in the wilderness, breaking all the chains, and could not be restrained until the Lord showed up. Lord, we thank you for the gospel of grace. And Lord, I pray for all those that you shall give hearing to this message. May you give them understanding. May you teach them. Show them their ungodliness. Show them their leprosy, that they may run to Christ that they may come to Christ as little children. We pray and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.